a good mentor or a good person to help with a business is somebody that will tell you the bad news. It's like when people do focus groups with their friends. Yeah. I mean, is that really a focus group? No. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Today, you're going to be listening to an interview that I conducted with Denise DeSimon. She is the founder and chairman of C-Leveled, a branding agency based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They have some wild and interesting billboards that you may have seen around Western PA. We mentioned a few on the Pennsylvania Turnpike about midway through this interview have involved people in tutus, giraffes, all sorts of crazy creatures. And in this conversation, one of the things that I was mining for was some perspective and insight from a genuine bona fide serial entrepreneur. Plenty of people will throw that in an Instagram bio or a uh, byline of their LinkedIn profile. Very few have actually walked the walk and dealt with the realities of starting multiple businesses and not every single one of them is a home run or even a single or a double. Denise has now been involved in nine different businesses and she gets candid about the differences between some of her successes and failures. And she also talks a little bit about another trend in consulting that you may be familiar with, which is that of a fractional C-suite executive. Firms in the early stages with limited budgets can't hire a full time, perhaps CMO or CFO. And that is actually where C-Level got some of its start as one of those fractional experts for hire. We talk a little bit about that and a little more about Denise's approach to company culture. All that in this conversation with Denise DeSimon. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. First of all, thank you for doing this. I appreciate you taking time. You're very welcome. You bought a business within a recent short period of time, Steel City Comic Con. What is the due diligence or the like decision making process look like for something like that for someone at, at your stage? Like how how much consideration? How much was it like gut instinct blink? Um, I think that's a great question. So I, I bought it with a, a close friend of mine, Bob Stein. You know, a lot of it was, you know, there's always financial due diligence. So I think at the core of every deal, every company, you really have to look at the financials and the sustainability and how long the company's been in business and what can you do to improve the numbers and everything was right. A lot of it, you know, you, you have a gut feel, but I'd say the most of it, 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 it's a financial transaction and do what I have here. So as C-leveled, can I market Steel City Comic Con? And those those were everything checked out. And that's an interesting way to evaluate your business choices because you, you have to be aware of where are our advantages, where are our disadvantages as an organization, as a culture. And so given the uh, propensity and skill set that you have here for marketing, there are certain instances where you can look at something and realize value from saying, well, we have the marketing chops actually, you know, not necessarily turn something around, but just 
market properly to get results, whereas another maybe private equity investor or someone else doesn't necessarily come with that skill set in hand, so they don't have the ability to access or realize that value the way you might. Right. And, you know, at the stage, so so one, you know, I, I had to have a really good partner. Um, so there's a work ethic between partners that, that has to be there. But you're absolutely right. You know, at this stage of my career, at my life, I don't want any headaches. You know, I, I'd like, uh, you know, I always enjoy new businesses and starting new businesses. And, and I enjoy the challenges and knowing what we can do better, what mistakes we'll make, all those things. But at the end of the day, it certainly helps when you can attach another skill set to a new business. When did you, when was the biggest headache of your career? Oh, there's a lot of them. Um, you know, I think, you know, when you go to networking events and peer groups and things like that, you, you know, people have a tendency to just say how wonderful every decision is and how well they've done and, and all that. I, I, I think everybody that has started a business goes through ups and downs and it's the downs that can define you either good or bad and so you know with every business there's I could pick the biggest challenge the biggest failure and with every business I can pick the biggest you know the, the successes that whether they're monetary or just you know successes of the culture of a business you know this is this this is a great example. I think the culture that we have at sea level is is phenomenal. I mean, we we don't keep track of time off. We don't keep track of any of that because we know we're a, a team that's committed to getting our clients what they what they want. So, and what they need, and we always have the best interests. But I think at the core of all businesses, there 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 are going to be failures. And I think the more people are open and honest about the failures would actually help somebody a lot better than having somebody sit there saying, I, I do everything great. Yeah. Hannah and I on an episode of the vlog were reflecting on our first 18 months in business. Very, very young, early stages relative to you. But the we had a, a month where there were $25,000 in outstanding invoices that were not <laughs> paid on time. Right. And in, in all honesty, the reason for that was, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know how to like set the terms properly and follow up properly. Like there's a lot of just basic blocking and tackling that we were getting wrong. But from like a headache, heartache, stress standpoint, that's about as um, as big as I've experienced. But what's interesting is you get through that and, and not that it now looking back seems like a small problem, but once you get through it, it's like, well, at least it's a manageable sized problem, right. which sets you up to then come across an even larger issue in the future. Yeah, and I think it's great when you go through big challenges because every big challenge is a time to reflect and time to really either commit or decide what you want to do in life. And, you know, it's during those down times that you really understand who are the people that will be there to support you, who are the customers that will support you, who are the friends, who are the organizations. And, and it's always good to clean your closet in those down times. So... You know, I, I commend you for going through that. It's like I tell my kids. Yeah. I hope you fail a thousand times while you're under my roof because failure is by far the better teacher. Absolutely. So you've founded at least eight different companies. Is that well, nine now. Nine now with the new yeah. one. So 
of those nine, are there any that you would define as a failure? And can you talk a little bit about what you learned from them? So I would say, you know, with nine, you know, statistically, I'm probably a good statistic. There were, you know, three that, you know, I would consider, I was fortunate to exit all of them at least break even, but I don't consider that, a, you know, a That success. wasn't your goal going in. No, and I think there was three of them that, you know, if I could do over today, I would, because I certainly made a lot of mistakes that I wouldn't make now. Because, you know, you think about entrepreneurship and it's, you know, it's entrepreneurial scars. It's, it's you know, the school of hard knocks as an entrepreneur is really hard knocks because, yeah. you know, there's financial repercussions. So, you know, I would say there's three that if I could do over again, I would. One, I think I, you know, I was scared and exited too quickly. Interesting. And, uh, you know, that's the one that bothers me the most. Because you see what um, could have been. Yeah. And, but I think in, in every business, and, and it's been several industries and not just all the same. I, I think the things that I've done well is always push myself to the brink of fear, which I think is, for me, a motivator. Like I, I function, I think, better when I'm afraid that something's not going to go well. Uh, but I think the things that I could have done better, I learned the older I got that it was important for me to find people that I could trust, that I was not afraid to say, I need help. You know, the the first businesses I, were, I was in were IT industry businesses. And years ago, you know, it, it, being a woman in that field was difficult enough. Raising your hand and saying, I don't know something or help me do this was, it was equally a, a tough spot because already I'm trying to be in an industry that's male dominated mm -hmm. and for me to show weakness was not going to help the cause. So, you know, I think the older I got, the more I realized that there are people that really do care that really will go out of their way to help you. And I think if I had to do those businesses over, I would have sought out mentors, business coaches, consultants, all of the above a lot faster. And I think that that's another interesting challenge that I've just, I've reflected a lot on over the last couple of years, which is like, who do you choose as mentors? Who are the people who can offer real perspective and real advice? And there's plenty of people out there that just like to hear themselves talk like they, they, they'll 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 assume the, the like had <laughs> yeah. a mentor yeah. and they'll they'll talk your ear off but like how much substance how much signal is within all that noise is a really hard thing for people to decipher especially when you're early on and you have no kind of frame of reference for like what success even entails and what real accomplishment actually looks like yeah i mean there's no shortage of experts <laughs> that's that's for sure and i think I think you you have to look at the person themselves. I mean, the the best person to help you is somebody that doesn't want anything in return. That there's no financial. I mean, there's no monetary gain for that person. That you know they really care about you as an individual because anything else is you're getting sold. And you know, I I think that it's important. If you know, I always have a hard time with people that say I volunteer. And then I post it 
You know, I, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you, you either, regardless of the stage, regardless, if there's somebody that you can do something for, you should do it. And there shouldn't be a, a monetary value in that help. So I think it's important to pick the people that really aren't looking for anything. They're not trying to sell you a block of consulting hours or, you know, things like that. I mean, those are the people that, for me, I got my best advice from that became and are still friends. You know, I mean, we sell consulting services too. I mean, that that's something that, you know, we continue to do as well. But I, I think when you're looking for, when, a, when an entrepreneur is truly looking for somebody to get help from, it's the people that have been there, that have carried that bag, that, that know how hard it is and will appreciate that and offer the help, you know, free of charge, really. Yeah. And it's worth doing the digging and the work to get those perspectives because the superficial, nothing, you know, maybe they don't have anything to sell, but there's not really been any substantial accomplishment or experience Mm -hmm. is, is maybe not equally as, as bad, but it can be fruitless and lead you in the wrong direction. Right. I mean, this, in this city's great. There's, it's full of great people that are willing to help. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just like, it's, it's like any relationship. It has to fit both sides. You know, if if I was somebody that said, hey, I'll be your mentor, and I was running 90 miles an hour, and your pace is more like 20 miles an hour, it's not going to work. Yeah. So finding the right person is really, I think, important, especially a good mentor or a good person to help with a business is somebody that will tell you the bad news. It's like when people do focus groups with their friends. Yeah. I mean, is that really a focus group? Yeah. No, that's just my friends <laughs> telling me how great I am. Yeah, you yeah. know, so it's the same thing. You want people that are going to be tough love. Amen to that. The Going Deep podcast is underwritten by Piper Creative. Shooting, editing, and publishing quality content is overwhelming. We make it easy so you can save time, build your brand, and grow faster. Say hello at pipercreative.co. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about some specificities of Sea leveled Okay. So let's start with the name, Sea mm-hmm. leveled Is that meant to indicate and convey that this is a, a service and a business meant to help the Sea level suite? Like, is that is that kind of where the, the naming and the positioning came from? So the naming really came from me, which is... I'm not a branding expert. The, the the branding experts that I have in this building um, have come to love the name. So it, it derived from, you know, when I was on my own thinking about what did I want to to start another business. And I was always looking for the C-leveled suite. Mm-hmm. And early on, C-leveled started as, you know, just a group of experts in certain fields so it was if you needed a c x was the variable so cxos that term started to come more into play with our marketing so if you wanted a mark a cmo you know x is the variable we had a c leveled cmo we had a c leveled ceo you know so and, and just where, just to translate that a little, what what that's kind of saying is maybe you're an you know an early mid sized business and you don't necessarily have the budget for the full time like 
crazy, maybe in, in certain markets, high six figure, like right. full time CMO. But from a fractional perspective, you can tap into and access that expertise yep. to a person that might be dividing their time between two, three, four, five entities. Right. So exactly, that's really how the name came about. And you know, we still do some of that. Um, but that that's exactly right because it was easy for me to start this company under that premise because the ROI was was easy to identify. Yeah. You know, your company, you hire a CFO and for six months it's going to cost you this, but do you need a CFO for all that time, full time? No, as a, as a startup, as a young company, you need a C, CFO for 10 hours a week. Yeah. So look I, over the books, make sure things yep, are. So it was an easy ROI type sale. And, you know, we have morphed into, you know, what we consider today is, is really a core of rebranding and content marketing. So, you know, we do a lot of lead generation via content marketing for clients. And, and I think that feels good to me from a technical background that, you know, the data-driven results, the, you know, understanding where that traffic comes from, where it goes, how how can I capture it, all of those things. I, I think that kind of feels right. Would you say that transitioning somewhat away from that kind of like CXO for hire type of business was partially a product of just the demand wasn't there, so you were looking for the other opportunity, or was, hey, that looks like such an appetizing, appealing direction to go with our services and just kind of being drawn to it from the the business use case? So I think one, it's, you know, everybody that kind of gets laid off at that point in that time period, 10, eight years ago, anybody that was let go from a company was now a consultant. Right. So it was, it was not about the demand wasn't there. It was just that for us, you know, there, there's tons of good resources out there that it, it really wasn't something that I want wanted to continue to do. I mean, while it's still valuable and while we still do some of that today, it's always in conjunction with an overall business strategy. So we don't want to be confused as a staffing company. We will do business consulting as it relates to an overall brand positioning, lead gen, hitting new markets, launching new products, that type of space. So it wasn't really a departure. We always did that, but we now have more of a focus on that side of the business because that's how the that's how business is going. I mean, you look at marketing today, it's technology driven. Yeah. You know, marketing technology budgets in 2018 were greater than IT budgets, and that's going to continue to go. Wow. Um, because you, you, that's how you get, I mean, people want inbound marketing. They want digital marketing. They want strategic marketing that is automated, and the tools now can do it. You know, we're a big HubSpot partner, and, and we love HubSpot, and um, I think when you have a tool that can help push leads through the funnel, then... Why work harder than that? Yeah. I abs- One of my absolute favorite things as a podcast host is when someone answers, the guest answers a question that I was already planning to ask. So <laughs> so you, you just actually like skipped ahead on my questions, but we'll go there since, since you alluded to it. So one of the things that you mentioned on the website was these marketing technology services. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting there 
is basically if if you can just kind of explain that business in a little more detail. My understanding is you have maybe a, a preference or a framework for thinking about a CMS system like a WordPress, a CRM implementation like a HubSpot in this instance, um, a commerce platform like Shopify, marketing automation, all these different kind of tools. And the very fact that you and your team have spent the time to understand them and know like the real utilization, not the superficial, well, I've been doing it for two weeks and I can kind of press all the mm -hmm. buttons type of deal basically means that if someone comes with the problem of like, we need our CRM to be better. I know that it takes a lot of work and I don't necessarily know where to start. You can kind of plug and play and be like, well, here is, we have a whole plan for implementing this in a multitude of businesses. Yeah. So, you know, for us, we've worked in a lot of CRM systems now. So Salesforce, Pardot, you know, we, we, we only recommend the tools that we actually use here. Yeah. Because C-Leveled is its own client. You know, we run marketing campaigns. We do market, you know, content marketing campaigns. So it, it every quarter the team is presenting to me, this is the next campaign we should launch. This is how we should launch it. So we're our own customer. Yeah. And, you know, they, they tell me all the time, we've got a meeting with our the worst customer we have, which is me. <laughs> But I think that we have to, you know, when you talk about lead generation, you're really talking about time. And so customers always want leads today. They always want more activity. They want more activity on the web. You, you have to have a platform that ties together very well so that time isn't your enemy which is why we do everything in-house. You know, we don't do video, we don't do photography, but we write everything here, we edit everything here, we design everything here, we do the landing pages here because we want to get those campaigns out so that we can see how they're functioning. And if they're not functioning the way we expect, we have to be able to change them right then. Yeah. So, And so that's probably interesting mm -hmm. just to, to latch on to something that you said there about like doing it all yourself and doing it for yourself is someone might say, and I don't, I don't want to, let's go up with like uh, CRM number three mm -hmm. as an example. And they might come to you and say like, we think we want to do this. And you have to balance a little bit of, you know, the, the client or the customer is always right versus like we have a real kind of framework and philosophy as to why this tool versus this tool will serve you better because of feature X or integration Y or right. just frankly our fluency in getting the most out of this product where maybe maybe these are equally powerful, but you don't have anyone who has the full kind of perspective on maximum utilization. Yeah, I mean, in, you know, it, it, we get into that situation a lot where people say, well, I'm in Salesforce and I'm on Pardot and I'm all that. You know, today people want an ROI on marketing. They want to know what they're getting for marketing. And I think it's reasonable. I do the same thing when I'm the customer here. The, the difficulty becomes if a customer says, I'm, I'm on this platform and I want to be on this platform, my statement to them is always, that's fine. We can build templates in that platform and we can help put the design in that pl platform. But we don't 
we we don't feel as comfortable as the results as we do using our methodology. Yeah. So the same methodology we use for every campaign regardless, but we don't feel like we can get the same results. Yeah, that's powerful. And it's also like that could be conceived of. It's like, like I can imagine a certain point where I would think, man, that's almost like weakness to admit, but it's actually engendering trust with the client that you're like, look, you know, you want to do that? We, we, we can go there, but like, we're not as capable of delivering because of just where our experiences and where our abilities are. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's better. And, you know, I, I think you kind of get this with age. I, I'm, I feel more comfortable telling customers what we can't do. Yeah. Because we have a phenomenal reputation in this city. And that's because when we say we can do something, we do it. And if we can't do it, I'll help you find the right right group to help you do it. Right. But we we want our customers to succeed. We want to succeed and we want to feel good about what we're doing. You know, we're not ever going to be treated like a vendor and there have been clients that we choose just not to work for for one reason or another, but you know, we we want to be part of our customer's success and we want to be part of their story long term. So it's better for us to be honest and say, you know, this isn't our thing, but here's somebody that is. Word. On the right over here, Hannah and I were talking about C-Leveled and in this vein of the team pitching you on campaigns internally for the mm-hmm. internal client, the billboards on the turnpike. Can you talk a little <laughs> bit about the pitch for those and how you think about the ROI of those? Well, uh, you know, I give 100% creative abilities and direction and all the credit for all of this to that team I mean I really don't come up with an idea it's really all about them and I think at the core of it people say that they're authentic but I think that you really have to be authentic when you do marketing today and and I think this team here does a great job of displaying who we are you know, we had a guy in a tutu, one campaign. We had two people with horse masks on for another campaign. But, you know, the best compliment I got from a client that, again, came in off of a campaign was, I saw your billboards, and I said, these people do a really good job, and they look like they're having fun. So I want to work with them. And that was the best compliment because... You know, we do. We're all friends. We have drinks. We care about each other, all of those things. But we care about the clients, too. So how we are in this office should be represented on the billboards and everything else. Now, how that pitch came, I don't I don't know what it was. It was part of an overall strategy. So the giraffe was, you know, there, there was a campaign on social where the giraffe's head was through the ceiling and and the whole point of that was growing a brand so that campaign was really you know don't hit the ceiling or i'm not Burst sure how they the ceiling, that yeah. was like three campaigns ago they all start to blur together a little bit yeah so you know they they do a good job here i mean they they really have a good creative side to them that I don't think needs to be as serious. Yeah. You know, I, I think people want to do business with people that they think they're having a lot of fun. And the and same way, I have customers that 
we have a lot of fun together and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know? And if you carry that energy with you, something I've, I've been learning recently is if you carry that kind of fun loving spirit and energy with you, it also becomes like in, in the context of your client's day where they may have, you know, meeting one where they get yelled at and meeting two where it's all about like the deadline, like, like that and the other thing, even just being like bringing levity to their day and like relaxing the kind of stress ball that may be happening just by the nature of their work. Not that that's the whole service. There's, mm-hmm. there's much more to it, but like psychologically what that does, their like anticipation and excitement and kind of how engaged they are with the work that you're doing together. I think that's a massive like competitive advantage. Yeah. I think, I think we, we have a great group of clients. I mean, they respect what we do. We respect what they do. And we are really in partnership with these folks. And so when they have a bad day, I mean, the sad, the bad part about that is when they have a bad day, we have a bad day. I've got a client that's having a bad day today, and I have felt it all day. Like, now I'm having a bad day because I really, you know, care about this client. And so I, I think, you know, life is too short. You know, you, you have to be able to enjoy the people you work with and the clients you service, or you're not going to get the level of creativity, especially in a creative agency like yeah. like you understand that if if your creative team isn't up isn't having fun and enjoying what they're doing and enjoying the clients they work with, the work product's not going to be the same. And so we're we're able to choose the clients that we really connect with, and I, I think that's really important. Beautiful. Curious about one more thing, and then we'll wrap up, and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll let you go. When I was looking at LinkedIn, it said that you would spend some time. You were always chairman. You'd spend some time as CEO, and then CEO ended, and you were just in the role of chairman. Is that mm-hmm. accurate portrayal of what happened twenty thirteen ish? Yeah. So we we were at that point investing in a lot of startups. Okay. And so I had to kind of move out of the role of CEO, and I moved somebody in in order for us to launch. We had acquired a, a company at that point. And so it was really important for me to focus on launching that company in particular and then a couple other startups that we had invested in. So I took a, a break until that happened. Gotcha. And so what did you learn from that experience? Because one of the like tropes of the entrepreneurial journey is you move from working in the business to like on the business or kind of getting that 10,000 foot view as opposed to necessarily having your hands in the weeds day to day. And and also, frankly, passing off your baby, passing off the thing that you created and then giving that responsibility to someone else. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we became an employee owned company in January. Okay. And so I... I don't have so much of a problem as passing it off because I know what I want is my future. And I think this is a great team here to keep it going 20, 30 years down the road. I'm not a person. I mean, I've heard that term working on the business instead of in the business. I think that has to, that has to be, for me, I'm, I'm a mixture of both. Okay. I I like to get my hands dirty. Like if if we have a client, like I handle one client right now, I like doing that business consulting with that client and growing that brand. So I'm never going to be a person that is not going to be working in the weeds. I'm just not. 
and I tell these guys all the time, my goal is, you know, in within five years, I'm working two or three days a week, and you guys are assigning me projects, you know, so I don't know. I mean, it's it's always great. You know, my one business, it was, you know, I grew it to 150 people and all that, and I was still working in the business. So for me, there's always got to be a, a situation where if you own a business, you're working on the business regardless. But how do, it's the same reason that I make C-Level my own client. How do I know what that customer experience is unless I'm in the weeds? Yeah. You know, you 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 have to be be there. One of the best examples of, of that exactly is AWS within the larger context of Amazon where when they started in the early days of AWS, Amazon the retailer was the largest customer of AWS mm-hmm. and they learned how to both serve an internal client and then all the external clients that has gone on to make AWS an enormous success, but it's 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 a interesting framework for thinking about the services that you're providing and really being able to give it the critical eye before trying to just blast the entire market with it, really seeing how that level of execution is happening right. for yourself. It's it's just like, you know, uh, how many how many consultants out there say, you know what, you should sell more service. You should, service is really profitable. You should cut your expenses. You, you, do you need me to tell you that? No, it's what happens to the customer side of things. So being that customer and saying, you know, I've been in this space. Let me show you, this is how you cut. You know, being, working with them side by side, being in the weeds understanding the customer experience that you have, I think those are all critical in order to have a sustaining business. You know, I, I'm never not going to be my own client at sea level. You know, when we started in the, down the HubSpot road, I was like, okay, let's get in it. And yeah. every issue, every nuance, every, I mean, I set out to break it and I set out to be the best user of it as well. So I think it's a commitment to the quality for the client's that working too much on the business, you lose sight of that. Yeah. So I said that was going to be our last question, but my curiosity is spinning now. And, and we've talked about consulting a couple of times now over the course of this conversation. And it's, it's kind of a two-part question. Is there any substitute for experience when selling consulting? And, and, and if yes or no, like what advice can you give to people who out there who might want to launch consulting practice or do more consulting and then are struggling in some way, shape or form to sell that specific type of service. So I think in any business, you know, the, the experience you have within that business is, is always going to be critical. But I think the, the biggest mistake that, that you can make if as a consultant is not understanding that people buy expertise and not experience. You know, I can, I can get a job in a corporation and I can work in, I don't know, supply chain for years and I have the experience in supply chain, but people gain more benefit if I had experience implementing supply chain and integrating that. So people, especially young businesses, I, I think going back to your original question, they need to look for people that had expertise in a field as opposed to just experience. And there's a, it's a huge difference. Absolutely. 
That's an awesome note to wrap up on. Denise, before we ask our standard last question, I want to make sure that people can connect with you, find out more about C-Leveled. What digital coordinates can we provide for people who might want to learn more? Uh, C-Leveled.com, C-Leveled.com. That's the best way to to reach us. We have forms online. Beautiful. Content marketing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We're going to link that in the show notes. Uh, It's in the podcast app where you're probably listening to this right now. But before I let you go, Gonna, you just said that. Well, <laughs> my standard last question <laughs> is the issue an actionable challenge to the audience. So I'm going to give you the mic one more time and let the audience know what they should be doing. Uh, I think, you know, in general, I think being kind to people is, is a great start. You know, we're in a very crazy time. And I think, you know, I've been in offices. I've been in organizations where... People just lose sight of the fact that, you know, everybody's trying to do a good job. Everybody wants to do a good job. And, you know, being kind to people, I think, has has, has not become part of the standard. And I think it needs to be. What is uh, one of the kindest things someone has done for you within a professional context over your career? The, the kindest thing, you know, I think that I can remember recently is... One of the people in our creative group complimenting me. You know, as a CEO, you get everything that's bad. You never get anything that's good. And I had a a really fantastic compliment from one of the people that work here. That's lovely. Yep. There might even be a second challenge in there embedded in the the one we just did. That was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Sure. No problem. We just went deep. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey, hope you enjoyed that episode. Hope you learned something. Hope you are subscribed for all future episodes of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. And also hope that you've March 28th, 2020 marked on your calendar. That will be the date of the third Going Deep Summit based right in downtown Pittsburgh in the Union Trust Building. We are fantastically excited to put on our best event yet. We have a bunch of people coming back for either their second or third summit, and we hope that you, if you've not bought your ticket yet, will also be in attendance. They are very affordable up through November 1st, only $40 for a ticket. That's a full day of speakers, a full day of networking with a bunch of ambitious, aspirational people, and some delicious beverage and drink to go along with it. We hope that you'll be there. GoingDeepSummit.com is the place to find more information about tickets, speakers, and past events. Hope to see you there. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.